This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Repeat, this is a test of the emergency podcast system. Disaster Girls is an unironic excavation of disaster movies with profiles as high as the tallest volcano and as low as the Marianas Trench. In order to ensure your safety and enjoyment, please remain calm and keep your ears locked on your hosts, myself, Jordan Gershiola, and me, Amanda Smith. Hello out there, disaster divas. You know, it's 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 hard to it's hard to act like everything's normal, but has anything been normal at all this year? Uh it is I, Jordan Cruciola, here with your co-host in the apocalypse. I'm Amanda Smith, and uh hopefully when you hear this message, <laughs> uh we won't have just lived through something that could also be an episode. Yeah, yeah. Like maybe, maybe, you know. Maybe there's a future in which, a near future in which there's a Disaster Girls, like, bonus episode, special edition episode, where we either talk about how November 3rd went, or we do a recap of the first Tuesday of the month in November of 2016, just as, like, a remember when, we'll we'll see how, we'll see how we feel, because me and Amanda were definitely together that night for that disaster. I feel, I, we've definitely recapped that before of the sadness brisket. We yeah, we have. told the story. I, I've been thinking could, like, a lot today clip. about, oh God, I've been thinking a lot today <laughs> about the, I've only been awake for like 45 minutes and I've thought so much about the sadness brisket. Oh man, yeah. I, it's a, you know, it's, it's a big time. And, and, and today in, in response to that big time, uh, you know, we're going to go against the current. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to go, we're going to go into those headwinds and we're going to talk about the 2009 straight to video disaster, uh, not disaster epic, but disaster experience, Polar Storm. Yeah. Starring Jack Coleman, famously known as, I believe it was Horned Rim Glasses, yeah. HRG, on Heroes. Yeah, which I was so excited about the prospect of seeing him be a disaster scientist. Because and I thought, honestly, he really a high has point. the gravity to do it. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Nice and to a, see him on the other end of a government conspiracy for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To be to be at the whims of to be at the whims of authority and not be wielding it. Yeah, Amanda. What is Polar Storm? about well jordan (laughs) is not what i thought it was about let's start with that okay okay because when you see the title is is misleading so yeah here's the thing about polar storm yeah and i suggested let's do polar storm um in my brain i thought like cold and yeah what actually happened was about 20 minutes into it i went oh polar polar the poles like Polar, like polar, polar variations or fluctuations, or <laughs> polar anomalies. I know these things. And yep, yet. yep. Magnetic poles. Yeah. So what polar storm is actually about is that there is a comet that is making uh, one of the closest passes to uh, Earth ever recorded. Mm-hmm. And um, as it passes by, a large chunk of it falls off and hits Alaska, causing... And I guess because of the magnetic or the uh, the gravitational pull of the comet paired mm-hmm. with hitting the pole itself mm-hmm, or hitting mm-hmm. hitting the planet itself, it causes a disruption in the magnetic field, which destabilizes said magnetic field. Yeah, and causes several mini poles to pop up, including one in 
uh, sort of vaguely Pacific Northwest, Northwestica. Yeah, it's, well, it's um, in wa- the license plates are Washington. It's Washington State. Some, um, yeah. Unknown, unknown in its proximity. Uh, I haven't looked up whether or not Lindenville is a real town in Washington, but it's not like your Seattle, Washington area. It's, it's definitely like mountain closer to Alpine, Washington. It is. It is small rural town that could also be Vancouver, Washington. Yes, yes, very much. Uh, so. But not Vancouver, I Washington. I love towns but- that could also be Vancouver. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> movies. I love towns that could be Vancouver. I respect the do. the universality of Vancouver in that sense. Yeah, like, yeah, it could be anywhere, and it mm-hmm. is in this case truly mm-hmm. anywhere. So yeah, so. <laughs> Uh, there is a government conspiracy to cover up these polar uh, and also the polar like relocation mini polls, the mini polls as they call them. Yes. Cause, like, and they're like, elect- a, they're like over a dozen of them around the world. Yeah. And they cause electromagnetic pulses, which uh, if anything, electric is turned on. It mm-hmm. kills everyone who has electrical things on them. And so obviously chaos ensues. Yeah. Um, and it, uh, yeah, the highlight definitely is for me is seeing uh, horn rim glasses be a scientist. Yeah, it works um, perfectly. Like yeah. I suddenly was like, you need to have, you need to have a Casper Van Dien esque career of your own. Yes, you just make these. He's so good at that because he's got such a like sort of ruggedness, an intellectual ruggedness that really oh, yeah. works for him, which like is true. That was why he was so good as horn rim glasses. Because mm-hmm. he was like, you're like, you're intellectual, but you also could probably dismember a man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you never question that. And likewise, in this, you're like, mm, I believe that you would go up to the Pacific, like you would go up to the middle of nowhere, Alaska to just like observe a comet. Um, yeah. Which he is and in also proximity to the comet. And have a shockingly young wife. <laughs> yes. He is, he is in proximity to the comet when the shard hits Alaska. Yeah. And – Starts off the movie by outrunning a disaster oh. where he gets down, I guess, the mountain that he's on, the like shockwave pyroclastic flow that is coming at them. He knows where there's like a shelter in the base of the mountain. They drive down there. He loses his partner in the process, but yeah. he survives to tell the tale of the comet hitting the earth that knocked the axes out of alignment. And now he is he is the lone scientist to to be sure that the Earth's magnetic field is in desperate jeopardy and that it is, as we see in a simulation he later gives to, um, like a security council meeting, which I loved the guy who played the president, his performance. Oh, it yes. was very forceful. He shows a he shows a um, a simulation where it shows like what the Earth's magnetic field is supposed to look like. And then he's like, and this is what it looks like now. And it basically looks like a child went nuts with crayons <laughs> on a drawing of the Earth. <laughs> the drawing was, the, the simulation drawings were so good. They were so good. And then it's like, and this is going to be an X number of hours. And this is going to be an X number of hours. And basically the magnetic field was diffusing until yeah. the point where it just wasn't going to be there anymore. And so that is, I get why all these mini poles are popping up all over the earth where there's like Aurora Borealis at these mini poles all over the world. And they're causing these like huge EMP shocks that if you are involved with anything electronic, when this EMP wave passes over you, it causes like basically lightning to dramatically surge through your body and kill you. Exactly. So it just completely fries you, which leads to a lot of really good little like there's some good little acts of vengeance in this film that I really enjoyed. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, when they showed the drawing the, of what the Earth's magnetic field looks like now, and it was just that great moment of like, oh, you guys kind of went for it, but also just like, I don't know, make it look like chaos. And they really did a good job. 
Yeah, make uh, it make it look like chaos. Yeah. This is no, this is a movie that doesn't reach Roland Emmerich levels of outrunning disasters, but damn sure tries. Because there's not one but two disaster outrunnings in this film. You're which right. I really yeah. appreciated. Um but in terms of uh so yeah, there's also other characters in this film. And the other characters in this film, and this is always, I think, the problem with disaster movies um of this ilk, uh-huh. is that they get a couple, you get, you're like, yeah, I want to spend time with these characters. But then they're like, but also, here's some others. <laughs> and for me, truly, that was um, Jack Coleman's Terrible Son. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so there's an additional subplot. So in addition to the fact that he has to save the planet, he also has to reconcile with his surly teenage son. Who Yes. A- apparently, his teenage son's biggest issue is that his dad – married his high school science teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, Why she was his high school science teacher, I don't know. She doesn't science at all during this. It's very unfair. So unfair to her. Um, And yeah, so he, the son is very resentful. The son also sort of has a crush on a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. Is also sort of just terrible the whole time. And it's also we, we're told not this is not demonstrated to us at all, but we are told. No, I was gonna say in the third act we find he's out. a real gearhead, as as this high school girl preposterously describes this boy as though she is a 50-year-old man. Says yeah. he's the biggest greaser at their school and is a real whiz with cars. You know, kids still use the term greaser quite frequently. Oh my uh, god, they that's do. That's just No, absolutely not. <laughs> I was like, "Wait, Amanda, what teens do you know?" None. None. No, that but I have to assume shocking. that if it was being used in the film Grease, um, <laughs> yeah. it is not in the current like lexicon of teenagers. That was a real reality index hit that moment. Yeah. Well, it's great cuz we do get so in the first in the beginning of the film a uh, terrible teenage son and weirdly old teenage rival. Yes, like that very much the bad boy very much looked 30. Yeah, the teenage son looks age appropriate. He looked like a lost Sprouse brother. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I thought he, he I thought he had like a lot of um who plays the who plays the good doctor? Who is that boy? Oh yeah, he also looks like that guy. Um yeah, Freddie yeah. Highmore. I thought yeah. he had like very like scrappy version of Freddie Highmore. Yeah, it was like if on. you in a lab you mixed Freddie Highmore with Dylan Sprouse and you were like, we're gonna make the 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 quintessential television actor. Um, and this is 2009, so he's got the shaggy hair. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, he's very he's so Sprouse Highmore um is has a crush on this girl, and anyway. He looks age appropriate, but his high school rival does. He looks like somebody I could date. Completely, yeah. Uh, very age appropriate. Also terrible. So you know, somebody I could date. Um, <laughs> and they get into a fight, break a telescope. Uh, mm-hmm. Honestly, science- when I saw it hit the ground and I saw it break, I was like, "Oh my god, that's so expensive!" Like I recoiled at how expensive breaking a telescope is. Yeah, no, it's a bad plan. Um, but also, I'm sorry, science teacher, you did not do a good job breaking it up. No, no. That was in no in no way was there like an assertion of authority. I'm gonna stop this fight and keep them or anyone around them from getting hurt. She very much just let that play out and then was like, screw you kids, you have to each have to pay for half the telescope. And yes, I'm your stepmom and you don't like me, and I'm gonna use this as a power play against you. Yeah. And she's not wrong in the no? sense of like, no. yeah, you know what? The children should pay for the telescope they broke from being reckless, like, teenage boys who are basically, <laughs> like, ramming their heads together like mountain goats. Like, yes, yes, that is accurate. But also, 
you know, the kid was getting bullied on your watch and your terrible stepson Sprouse Hyman stepped in. So mm-hmm. Highmore stepped in. So like, meh, not deserving. But anyway, they decide to drag race yes. for to see who has to pay for the telescope. And in that moment, I got so excited that we were going to get an extended fast. And it was like, because it came out in 2009, they're like, you know what's real hot right now? Yeah. Drag racing. Let's right. get a fast. And I was so looking forward to a Fast and the Furious sort of montage. But at and it was very – and it was – like they don't – you don't get the like payoff for why the kid – because like <clears throat> uh, Disaster Son is – he's like – the guy's like, you want to race? And he's got like a muscle car and then he's got like a shitty – beat up sedan and he's like yeah let's do it and you're like why the fuck does he want to race there's again absolutely nothing to demonstrate that this person is a car enthusiast at this point in the movie so it's just a very confusing moment where he agrees to drag race a car that clearly has outmatched it will outmatch his and then you find out two acts later they're like oh he's a whiz and he probably souped up that car and it goes like zero to 60 in two seconds flat but at that point he just looks like a fucking idiot yeah engaging in something he's shortly going to lose unless he's about to sabotage the guy's car. It's a very weird moment. It's extremely weird. And the fact that everyone is like, this is totally a normal thing that teenagers do in the, I was like, none of this is okay, but it doesn't matter. The girl has to, the girl has to get out of the car and do like their race countdown. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which she's fully prepared to do as opposed to being like, which did not endear me to her or her to me because in this town, I feel like it must happen a lot. Everybody seemed very ready to participate. Right. But like you'd think that she would be like, no, Kevin, it's not right to do this to Dylan Highmore. Um, <laughs> you would think she would do that like because she's supposed to be the the love interest and that she would at least sort of t- – but she's like, okay, I'll jump out. And you're like, yeah. what? what's going on here? Um, but it doesn't matter because anyway, the ground starts cracking underneath them and poor Kevin dies. Yeah. And And not only does poor Kevin die, but like no one bothers to check on poor Kevin to make sure he's dead. So poor Kevin died of exposure, most likely. Yeah. Kevin gets swallowed basically by the earth while he's in his car, Mm -hmm. leaving uh, Shane, the son, and his crush to, um, I I believe, Zoe, uh, to just take a, and this will get weird also, an extremely (laughs) long Walk home? Really long walk home. I tried to um, figure out, and w- during which his parents, like, so ter- science teacher is like, hey, did you notice that Shane didn't come home last night? And the dad's like, huh, you're right. I guess he didn't. Yeah, and, like, of course dad wouldn't have noticed. Like, that was like, of course you didn't even fucking notice your kid didn't come home last night. That makes sense. But the fact that neither of them noticed the son didn't come home, it's now midday. Yeah. And they're like, wait, he was at the park. The park, the park is where they had a massive earthquake last night. And then they get concerned. And you're yeah, just. Yeah, and the park is clearly like, if you say like the park, that means the park in your area. That yeah. means the park in your vicinity. And these kids, Zoe and Shane, are just left on foot. Like, I get that things are spread out of the Pacific Northwest. I'm from there. Yeah. But if I walk from the park in Canby to my house, like in a, like the a next town over in Aurora, it would have taken me part of the afternoon. If we cut to these kids, they're like, have you seen them? Like, it's the dramatic moment at home. Then we cut to Shane and Zoe. They're just walking down the road yeah. at, like, the mid, like high noon the next day, still walking. Presumably have been walking for, I don't know, at least 10, 12 hours at that point. Right. Which, like, okay, Where the fuck is this park? Presumably, let's just say the park is 30 miles away. All right. Mm-hmm. So that still means that it only takes them 10 hours. And they right. were drag racing the prior day in midday or like maybe late afternoon. It was very, it was the 
I, I, I don't at know. At the very least, they... they would have reached somebody yes. who they could have been like, hey, I'm so-and-so's kid. Like, she works at the high school. I Could you, like, give us a ride into town or something? This isn't a large city. People know people around there. Like, somebody would have passed them on the road. They would have gone by someone's house and be like, do you have a landline that I can make a phone call on? Like, there would have been a way for them to not just still be walking to, I don't know, fucking Oregon at that point. Right. That's The only thing I can think of is that they just kept walking in a circle confused. Sure, disoriented. Um, not disoriented, just being too dumb to live. That's possible, yeah. Um, that's my only guess at this point, that they were just too dumb to exist. Well, we've, uh, we've jumped over a critical point of reality index in this, which is at the very beginning. Like, oh. this, this comet hits and knocks the world's axes out of alignment. And we are told that this, like, the, the shard of comet that hits Alaska is, like, Less than a thousand feet. It's like 300 meters, I think. We have seen deep impact, ladies and gentlemen. That comet was like more than five miles wide. If the Wikipedia article that I am looking at is to be trusted, it was seven miles wide. And it certainly fucking hit the earth. That is the whole point of the movie, a fantastic disaster movie that says, actually, the disaster is going to happen. Nobody's going to stop it with bombs. So, like, and it destroys the world and most of the population dies. But, like, at the end of the movie, you have what you have Morgan Freeman giving the waters receded speech. Yeah. And the, like, husk of the, of the White House from which, like, he is broadcasting the world was not spun out of alignment when a seven fucking mile meteorite hit the earth. I truly do not believe that something that size, they could, I mean, this is a disaster movie. So go big, have something the size of Alaska hit the earth. Yeah. Like, so do meters? Come on. To root this in some reality for a second, um, the, the asteroid or comet that hit uh, Earth that killed the dinosaurs. Yes. So that was, we don't know exactly how big, but the estimates are 11 to 81 kilometers. So that's 6.8 to 50.3 miles. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So we're not sure. 6.8 to 50.3. 50. Yeah. There's a pretty wide range, yes. Yeah. Um, because, you know, we have to, it's, it's not, we weren't there. I don't know. Yeah, um, we, were, we, look, we weren't I'm there. A, I'm not a comet scientist, but yeah. that didn't throw us off the axis. The earth no. is real fucking large. And I like, yes. And very dense. And there's just a yeah. lot going on. And so, no, that, that wouldn't do it. I guess it had to have been, I guess like maybe it was the combination in this film of the comet going by combined with it being struck. But no, that's not, it's not big enough, but I guess they had to make it that small to make it believable that Jack Coleman could outrun it. Well, and and that like it, it was, it was like, it's like the, it's like the sinkhole movie we just watched where it's like, you guys had a whole movie about a sinkhole. That was the only sinkhole, the only good sinkhole we saw, like fucked up an intersection in downtown New Orleans. Like, that's what you're going to give us? And it just, like, it's like, come on, guys. You're going to do the special effect anyway. Yeah. You don't, we don't, we don't have, all we have to see is one wide shot of how big the comet is. And then we just see, like, an in, like, an in vaguely huge impact mark from, like, a shot from space where you see, like, a big cloud coming out, of, or, like, arising out of the Earth. Go bigger, man. Like, yeah, a 10 to 
Like you said, the earth is huge. Clearly, that was like a mass extinction event for the organisms on the earth when that either six mile to 50 mile large um, meteor hit it millions and millions of years ago. But the earth lived. The earth didn't die because a possibly 50 mile comet hit it. All the things on it. Are we fucked if that happens? Absolutely. Is the Earth itself fucked? No. It will get by without us. Yes. So like a couple hundred meters, go fuck yourself. I straining credulity on like create un- unwinding the Earth's magnetic poles and creating a bunch of catastrophic mini poles across the planet. They're going to create a rolling series of disasters. Do not insult my disaster movie intelligence. Wow. This is like the most passionate I've seen you get about um, a disaster movie disaster being like inadequate. Come on. 300 meters in Alaska and it changes the whole world. Get the fuck out of here. D- Harry Stamper did would not have had to have gone to space and sacrifice his life on Earth with his daughter, Liv Tyler, if there was a 300-meter comet coming toward the Earth and Armageddon, because they would have been like, well, fuck, probably not worth it sending up an entire crew of oil drillers to split this thing in half with a bunch of nukes. It'll just be like, well, we will do targeted damage control when this thing makes impact. They they would not have sacrificed the lives of those heroic men who no longer wanted to pay taxes at all if they survived a mission. So, like, I, I'm sorry. We've, we know too much. We know too much for you to throw a statistic like that at me. Jordan Cruciola, comet size queen. <laughs> Here to declare. Yeah. Here to declare, you know? And I Jordan I doesn't get out of bed for less than a mile across, guys. That's less than a mile. Is. That I have demands. Yeah. And they must be met. Again, because you can just, especially since you could just say it. It's not like with Megafault where you need to, like, create an earthquake that goes across the entire, like, continent and doesn't stop. It's just, it's one thing that you see from space where you, like, because it's in space, you have no sense of scale. Like, this is a thing you can do without being like, wow, that looked really stupid when they tried to make the comet a mile across instead of 300 meters. I wish they had just made it smaller to make it look more believable. No, no. You can just say, like, man, that was a fucking 15-mile-wide comet. And all you have to do is mention that. Yeah. It just has to be a line of dialogue. So this movie starts with a pretty unbelievable premise that that big of, like, I don't care what the after effects of it are, that a comet of that size, a meteor of that size, would have such world misaligning ramifications if it made contact with the earth yeah no you were right the first time it is comets so comets and meteors are two different things oh they just are to, and i'm using them interchangeably to, here and i know science, they're not just so yeah sciences for a second uh comets are basically balls of like ice and dust okay. that are from that like we think started very early in the solar in the existence of the universe and mm-hmm. they fly around mm-hmm. meteors are iron generally speaking iron based uh they more are like rocks. a rock yeah, yeah meteors are Meteors are, yeah, they're stony um, or they are iron-based and they are basically chunks of rock hurtling through space. Okay, um, yeah. So, yes. And an asteroid is a very large meteor. So it's, uh, it's I think, size-based in that case. But in this case, yeah, it was a comet, not a, not a meteor. Comet, yes. It is a comet, um, which is like one of my weird little like in- pop culture 
annoyances is when they depict me, uh, comets as something that moves across the sky very quickly. Um, right, okay. Because it moves through space very quickly, but it does not move across our sky very quickly. Right. They're just like, like you they're they're like the motion is yeah. imperceptible when you're looking at it from yeah. The surface from, of the from the surface of the earth that's yeah. why like we could see that comet that was like in august we saw that comet for days yeah um and versus like a meteor which is a meteor is when it streaks into um through the through the earth's atmosphere and that causes yeah. those little shooting star blazes of light as it burns yeah. up in the earth's atmosphere anyway so yeah the uh the comet is the comet agreed was way too small they went too small but it was entirely because they knew i think that they any bigger, and you would have been like, "This is world ending." And also, Jack Coleman wouldn't have survived it. Uh, but uh, yeah. anyway, so we end up. The point is, we end up in what is sort of a the core situation, mm-hmm. um, where the poles are destabilized. Except we're not getting mm-hmm. the like all this, the effects of the poles being destabilized. We're just getting the electromagnetic pulses, and like it, it, some like the Earth is separating. Like yeah. the, they do say that like the tectonic plates are rearranging. Um, and that is causing seismic disruption, but that just yes. like the EMPs are like the main villain. Yeah. There's like also earthquakes, um, that are swallowing up, <laughs> like Kevin got <clears throat> swallowed or, um, as we see in the teaser. So the movie does like a jump forward, jump back thing where, yeah. uh, there's, we like first get shadowy, uh, newscaster who's like, God help us all. The world is yeah. going to end. And then we get surly teen Shane driving in mm-hmm. the car, barking orders at stepmom. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she falls into a a hole, and yes, she gets swallowed by the earth. And then they're like thirty six hours ago, and then we flash backward or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, for the most part, the earth swallowing up people is not as big of an obstacle, and almost to me felt a little unnecessary. Yeah, it felt kind of tacked on. Yeah, like I didn't need it. We're dealing with something that's coming from the sky. I don't need a land. Like I like my my disasters either have to have a clear sense of causality. Mm-hmm. Or I want my disasters totally separate. If I'm dealing with a sky disaster, I don't want a land disaster. Yeah, it doesn't it, it, like this unless it's going to be like a 2012 yeah. situation, yeah. where it is everything all at once on a globally catastrophic scale. To just piecemeal it together like that is like you just thought you needed another thing to be scary. Yeah, like you're just like, well, they can't keep just outrunning stuff from the sky, so we're gonna have the ground open up. It's like, no, no, no. We could have just kept outrunning stuff from the sky really efficiently. Yeah. So yeah, that was that was for me a real issue, and I love a good ground based disaster. Uh, yeah, I love I love the Earth just opening up and swallowing people, but this was sort of like meh. Anyway, so that was for me a definite point of unbelievability. Uh, one thing I did love and didn't question was that Jack Coleman had a, an emotionally distant sergeant father or general father, some sort yeah. of yeah military-based dad. Yeah, he's high-ranking enough in the military to be one of three people on a phone call about the end of the world. Yes. With with uh, scientist HRG. Like, one of three people. One and of, yeah. They're and, and, estranged. And passed, and they haven't talked for five years, and they yes. have been tasked with... Um, his dad has been tasked with bringing in his son. Yeah. And I... He I was, was like, gone rogue and, like, gone public. Oh, yeah. About the polls oh. with the local reporter friend. Hold on. I'm actually going to sidebar here real fast and just say that if they wanted to make it something that only... I love a... Only one scientist in the world knows what's happening. Yeah. I love yeah. that as a trope. Um, but if they had wanted to do that, they probably should have done that with something other than, say, the alignment of where the sun sets. 
Yeah, like the 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 reporter that kind of cracked that like he's on to this case too. Yeah, because he realizes that the sundial in the park that no, they went that's, to is that's that's uh, that's Jack Coleman again. Jack Coleman brings this calls the reporter and is like, "Hey, come to the park." And then but it's he like, like immediately gets, gets that there's it, yeah. something. Like he immediately picks up on like, "Oh, the sundial's off. That must mean something horrible is happening." Whereas right. I'd be like. Oh yeah, doesn't it change throughout the year or something? I don't actually understand how sundials like how work? sundials are always how how they're always on time. It's very impressive. It's not a high concept thing, I'm sure, but I've just never looked into it. But right. this guy feels very acquainted immediately with what the with what the science the reporter feels very acquainted immediately with what the scientist is trying to tell him in a way that's like. So were you also once a renowned astrophysicist who is just now like a local color guy in small town Washington? <laughs> just a human interest reporter yeah. who like, oh yeah, I know exactly how bad this is because the sundial's wrong. He just, he does not take much time to think or concern himself with it beyond this isn't good. And yeah. I respect And then of that. course he has to be the asshole reporter who once he breaks the story is like, so when you got any more news, you're going to come to me, right? When you got any more news, I'm going to break the story, right? We're partners, right? It's like, yeah. why does it, the journalist is always the son of a bitch. What is that? Like, come on. The, we have the, the villains are the EMPs. The villains are the, di, like the disbanding electromagnetic field above the earth. Did we need the Craven reporter? No, like, Jordan, you see, man. you see when you're writing a movie, you <sighs> take any chance you can to, uh, uh, take a stab at someone who's critic adjacent. Yeah. They work <laughs> for the same organization. Woman, she's fucking her sources. If he had been yeah. a woman, yeah. he would have been having an affair with the scientist or trying to cajole him into one. No, he Definitely. Would, if, that's, if it that's were a woman, he would have be been journalist. having an, he would have been having an affair with the sundial. <laughs> Anybody in proximity, <laughs> really. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it was a weird thing, especially because we don't really see him again. And it was just like, oh, okay, goodbye char- character that we don't hear from again. Yeah, he kind of seemed like he was going to become part of like the, the the polar Scooby gang. Yeah, no, he was not. They just, they definitely fired that actor really early on. Um, <laughs> and they was like, no, 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 we're going to, we're going to save money on this one and uh, randomly throw in some other people in the third act that you're not going to care about. Yeah. Um yeah, but the, shouts the, out to I will say shouts out to Jay Brazeau, who plays Dr. Elman, loosely affiliated doctor in the national security meeting, who is one of those that guy actors who I was very surprised to see pop up in this uh, playing the side part of uh, like Dr. Elman. Yeah, he it, all he had to do was zoom in for it. <laughs> That's it. That's you, it. Yeah. And you, uh, good, good, good day of work, dude. Good day of work. There were a couple of characters. There are a bunch of actors on this where you're like, oh, you only had to do one day of work and you got paid. Good for you. Yeah, good for you. There was also the woman in the uh, in the like monitoring center who only had to do one day of work reacting to a phone to phone calls. <laughs> yeah. Like all sure. she had to do was just film herself like reacting to a bunch of phone calls from Jack Coleman. Yeah. Um, increasingly frantic ones. It was great. I was very happy for her. She deserved yeah. that. Um, but yeah, I, so here's my thing is that if you're going to, of all the things be what tips them off is that the earth's, the earth's axis is off because the sun is setting in a different spot. You're not going to be the only person who notices that. Fair. Yeah. I mean, look, if, if we were in a situation, Jordan, here in Los Angeles, where suddenly the sun started setting behind the Hollywood sign. That was exactly what I was thinking. It was like if it started setting behind the hills. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like you would notice that. You would pick yes. up on oh, that yes. really fast. Oh, um, yeah. Like I would notice – like I'm noticing the sun is setting in a different spot because I've only been in my apartment. This is now a year. And I'm like I finally have plants in my backyard and I'm realizing, oh, the sun's moved 
and my plants aren't getting yeah. the light that they normally get. I need yeah. to rearrange my plants. <laughs> if the sun were suddenly skyrocketing over to the other side of like – or setting behind something it had never set behind before. Right. I'd pick up on it because yeah, – I'd pick up on it. I wouldn't know why, but like – it definitely was one of those things where I was like, ooh, you guys maybe should have gone a little bigger on what the super secret thing that he notices that no one else noticed is. Yeah, they just could have gone bigger. They could have this gone mo- bigger. This movie could have gone bigger. And not in ways that meant more effects. Yeah. Not in ways that meant more story. Just like lines of – a few lines of dialogue that would have made the elements they were dealing with far more extreme yeah. and more commensurate – with the ac- the absolute end of fucking life as we know it on planet Earth. Like the end of a life, of human life. Exactly. And Probably that's, all that's, life if the, if the electromagnetic field is gone. Right. And that's the thing with like in general with a lot of these, when, whenever we end up giving these movies like low ratings, I find it tends to be because they didn't go bananas enough. Yeah. And you know, like they're like, oh no, we're just going to keep this, we're going to keep this grounded. And it's like no one, that would be like if someone's like, hey, we're going to have McDonald's, but McDonald's now is only going to serve salads. And it's like, that's, if I wanted (laughs) to go to a place that serves salads, I wouldn't go to McDonald's. And if I wanted a movie that's grounded, I sure as shit would not be looking for the sci-fi channel or TNT to be giving that to me. Like I want the absurd. I want the extreme. I want things that make me go, I don't think that's science, but I don't care. Yeah. I want, I want fire twisters. Yes. A tornado made of fire. I want tornadoes made of fire that like throws an ax through a man's chest. Yes. Like I want, I want a catastrophe where we're acting in two timelines. Like give me that stuff. Yeah. Earth catastrophe is a perfect example of what you can do within these exact constraints. Yeah. Because they did that that is actually a really good point cuz this as also an electricity in the air based disaster. Yes. Yes, the electrical clouds. Yeah, the electrical clouds definitely worked and did what they needed to do and in this case I just so the I guess we should get into like what so the EMPs happened and yeah, I will. I will say a tremendous, a, perhaps yeah. a high point. The high point of the movie is to me all the the townspeople have been in inadvisably uh, directed from the military because martial law Ooh, has been yeah. declared to go to the town's church to convene, and um, stepmom and son are are routed there by the military, and they get there like you need to get everybody out of here. You need to turn everything electric off inside of here. We need to get to this town that's forty miles away because it's outside of the EMP's radius. We got to go now. But of course, nobody's listening to her. They can't get a hold of the general because communications are down. Chain of command is not going to go off. It's not going to go off message here. So they find mom, stepson, his crush, and her dad find a way. Um, find a way to flee the church to get out from like a you know get away from the military. And they're heading to this this town outside the the EMP's blast radius. Well, sure enough, when the next EMP. Uh, pulses through this disaster area, it rips through the church and we just see like a close up, like a slow close up on a window as like, it looks like lightning bolts are shooting through the church and you just hear people screaming inside. It was very effective. It was very effective. It's like, oh my God, an entire town left inside of this church just got lightning bolted to death inside and they are 
screaming as they, that was a very effective moment. It was a, you know, and like, it was really well done. One, because they didn't have to spend a ton of money on effects, but they got exactly. the point across. And two, because we didn't, we like, they did not hire <laughs> enough extras to give us the sense that that was a <laughs> church full of people. Yeah. And so just like the fact- There were like a dozen people inside. Like, yeah, it was, and they were, they were like scattered between pews. There was, I mean, there were more military guys than there were people who actually like were fled, fleeing the town. Yeah. And- the fact that we then could just get that – that shot was, I think, one of the smartest things that they did in this movie, um, hands down. I was like, that well yeah. played, guys, because yeah. they, they worked with what they had, and it was – yeah, it was deeply hor- – and you feel like I felt sad and scared. I felt sad. It was good. I it felt was, sad, yeah. It made me feel feelings. And like – and we <laughs> saw – and we saw also like the town, the downtown area at a different point – we see like lots of people frying and then we see their bodies like all crispy on the ground. Yeah. Which again, very effective. Mm -hmm. Um, Like they did, there were a lot of things that they did not have a ton to work with, but they made do with what they had really well. Yeah. Which is why like the fact that they didn't go bigger was a bummer because- Exactly. They could have gone bigger and done it effectively. And of course- and of course, what we learn is like you know the, the when the president and and his tiny security team finally buy in to the magnitude of what um, scientist HRG scientist is saying. Yeah, um, they are like, well, can we stop it? And he's like, I don't think we can. But then, of course, he comes up with a solution that involves what nuclear, nuclear bombs, bombs and the Mariana Trench. It was a real. As soon as he said nuclear, as soon as he was like we're going to bomb it. And I was like, yes, we <laughs> yes. are. Yes, and we are. then on top of that, the fact that it was like, we're going to bomb it. And then that plan didn't work. Yeah. Um, so what happens first is that they, um, <coughs> so he's like, we're going to bomb it with an equal amount of nuclear energy on yeah. the opposite side of the earth. So at the South pole, and that's going to pump us back into alignment again. We're going to get bumped back because we're going to like basically hit the other end of the lever and then we're going to balance it all out. And we're going to use like experimentally large nuclear warheads. But that's not really where the big problem comes in. Because his plan is we have to fly them to the South Pole, which surprise, surprise, you know what happens when you have during a massive like electrical pulses uh, and you have a bunch of airborne and you have an airborne plane? It blows up. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, a big plane filled with electronic instruments. That's not going to last. Yeah, so it gets swallowed by a net of lightning in the air. Yeah, so it blows up. He's like shocked. And then his next solution is let's put up more planes. And yeah, I was like, well, should we though keep putting nuclear bombs up in airplanes and flying them around with this seems like a bad plan. And unfortunately, um, and his military father sees yeah. the uh, sees the dad, folly in that wisdom. His dad absolutely catches it and was like, no, no, no. We aren't going to keep putting planes up in the air and hope they make it to Antarctica. Yes. Uh, so instead, though, a he's like, well, let's put them in submarines and bomb the Mariana Trench instead, which, okay, sure, dude. Yeah. That's the next reasonable. <laughs> like, if you can't do one thing, why not bomb the Mariana Trench? Yeah. Um. Because it's the closest place to like, it's the deepest spot on earth. So we're going to yeah. do that. And they end up realizing that they've got, that there's a, the Russians have a purely diesel powered submarine. Yeah. A totally analog sub. They still run drills on. So they can this go. happens to be mm-hmm. on the coast of Washington at that moment. Which doesn't help anyone much because that's not <laughs> where the Mariana Trench is. 
that this is what once the, our once our heroes set out on their mission to save the world this t- this movie once again gets very hinky with, with the timelines with with time and how long it takes to get somewhere i mean i guess much like when you're traveling underwater walk. you just like travel through time i don't know much like the teens needed to walk yeah for for fucking generations on end to get back to town from the park yeah the the teens um, took the oregon trail yeah, and, and in he the found inverse. a water lo- a wormhole. Yeah, and like the in the inverse, this submarine once they are they are at the coast, they are meeting they are meeting the Russian aquanauts who are going to like take them on this mission. It becomes like you know a handshake across the world peace endeavor, and they there's like two shots of the submarine going underwater one presumably to get to where they are and then another getting to their destination and then suddenly it with minutes minutes have passed because we're working on a timeline here like the earth the magnetic field is undoing quickly like it is dissipating quickly we are on a clock of like minutes hours here so it's not just like oh well they took X many hours 15 10 20 I don't know to get from the coast of Washington the Mariana Trench which is like near Japan like it is it is near Jap- like the Japanese archipelago in the Pacific Ocean it's not just like oh well they cut to however many hours later it truly implies it's s- simultaneous in, yeah in a like they depart the the coast of of Washington and then just like don't fall asleep everybody we'll be there soon and then they are suddenly like at the merit like the amount of time it would take I feel like to just descend from like a cruising whatever cruising depth the submarine is at yeah. to get down to the bottom of the fucking sea floor where the Mariana trenches where we've never actually like I don't think taken a manned vessel that deep and certainly not a submarine. Certainly like, and like an old ass submarine. I mean, like they're like, how there's small a diesel is, sub. Like think like, about how small the fucking two. Yeah. Think about how small the um the submarine is that James Cameron has to wedge himself into to get to the bottom of the to get to the Titanic. Yes. This yes. is much deeper than that. It is, and this is this is thirty-six thousand feet beneath the surface. This thing would have been like turned into a tin can, right? Yes, yes. Like they wouldn't, their people would not have been able to have survived in that vessel at that depth with, as we see when they're down there, which is a cool thing they did. I'm glad that if they were going to go down to the Mariana Trench, fine. They did, in the name of going a little bit bigger, the tectonic activity at the sea floor. Things are shifting. Things are separating. It has basically turned the trench into a volcanic hellscape. That's which not how that trench cool. works. I, I believe it's not how it works, but at least it looked cool. It looked and they really did something cool. Extra. It looked but really yes. cool, but it was the wrong. Okay, so the Mariana Trench is what's called a subduction zone. Um, and that okay. is where a one plate goes underneath another, which is why it's mm-hmm. so deep because you mm-hmm, have the mm-hmm. two plates going and one's diving down beneath the other and they're kind of right. pulling each other a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it is a subduction zone. So what happens is, is that there, the bottom of the plate melts and several miles away, a volcano mm. pops up, which is why like you have the ring of fire. The ring of fire yes, is, is located you know, like you've got Japan, you've got all those different islands with yeah, volcanoes. It's like along the east, it's along the it's along the coast of East Asia, and like encircles mm-hmm. the, the like and the then coast runs of up the, United, of the west coast of the United States. Yeah, except for California because we uh, have the San Andreas Fault instead. But yes, <laughs> we have that fault. Yes, yes, but that's a whole other thing. But that's so it's the Ring of Fire. Um, so you do have volcanism, but you don't have it in the Marianas Trench, like mm-hmm. in the Mariana Trench, mm-hmm. like that. Okay. Um, but those smokestacks you get at what's called a spreading center. 
Um, ah, okay. which you would find in like the Atlantic. So that's so where that, new plate is being generated. If the San Andreas Fault was under the ocean, like would that kind of fault be a spreading center? No. So the San okay. Andreas Fault is weird and it can't – it's not under the ocean because it's uh, what's called a transform fault. So that's where okay. basically – so real quick, I'm just going to science the shit out of this real fast. No, this is great. This is great. So essentially, um, plates have different densities. And mm-hmm. the densest is uh, oceanic plate. And that's based on what's older. So the older, if you have two oceanic plates coming together, the older of the two will subduct, will go underneath the younger. The younger is more buoyant. Okay. So the okay. older plate will go underneath. And that's why that it happens in the Pacific. The Pacific is huge and it's very old at the edges and that subducts underneath. Uh huh. If you have, and then in the Atlantic, you have what's called a spreading center, and that's where new plate is being generated. Um, okay. If you have, so the um, what's called continental crust, which is generally made. So oceanic crust is made primarily of basalt. Um, okay. Continental crust is made primarily of granite. Is the is the All under, right. and that is much lighter. It's much less dense. It's more buoyant. Mm-hmm. So if you have oceanic plate versus continental plate, oceanic plate subducts. Mm-hmm. If you have Oce- uh, continental versus continental, mm. they crash together. Okay, yeah, okay. And that creates, um, like, you have that in the Himalayas, uh, oh, where right, you okay. have that happening. Um, and so what we have in our case is we have um, this chunk of plate, the North America plate and the Pacific plate are kind of mm-hmm. grinding against each other. Mm-hmm. They are moving in parallel directions versus into each other. Okay, got and it. And so that's why it becomes what's it's it's a transform. It moves side to side. That's what so yeah, that's yeah. why people are like in a several million years, LA will be next to San Francisco because San Francisco is slowly San Angeles. Yes, San Francisco is slowly creeping south, and we're slowly creep south. Was that southeast? And we're slowly yes. creeping northwest. Ah, look at that. Uh huh. So we're very oh. slowly making our way now south of us. <laughs> This, so south of us, we do have a spreading center, which is where you get – we have that earthquake swarm and stuff like that down in um, – what's it called? The Salton Sea area south of that where Baja is. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where Baja is south of that, we have a spreading center where we do have new plate being created and eventually mm-hmm. that will split op- – Baja will split open completely and create mm-hmm. a new ocean. Whoa. Yeah. That's also happening. The Red Sea is another case of that. The Red Sea is also a spreading center where it will eventually split open. Interestingly, the Mississippi River is part of what we think was a failed attempt at that, what's called a failed huh. a failed rift valley. Um, so, wow. yes. And so the Mariana Trench, not one of those. Not one of those. subduction zone. It is a subduction zone. So even if, even if the San Andreas Fault were underwater, it wouldn't be mm-hmm. happening. So mm-hmm. what's really interesting when you look at the Ring of Fire is that it's – the Ring of Fire goes up, um, up Japan, up through Russia – arcs across, you've got the Aleutian Islands, you've got Alaska mm. heading down, you've got, you know, the Pacific Northwest, which has volcanoes. All of that yes. is from a subduction zone. Then you hit Northern California, specific, and even some of Northern California, Mount Shasta, all of that's part of subduction zone. Mm-hmm. Then you get to Northern, like to San Francisco, down to basically the Salton Sea. Mm. Um, and you have essentially this like weird little stretch that has none of that. And then the Ring of Got Fire it. picks up again. And then you go south and you have like – that's why you have all the volcanoes in Costa Rica. And then you have those huge earthquakes in Chile. 
I was going to say, now does that get all the way down to like the Andes? Yeah. That's, so okay. it goes all so the way south. that's what Chile and Argentina have going on. Ha- yeah, that's why they have, you get those devastating earthquakes down Got there. The it. sevens. So a subduction zone is where you get those sevens, the eights, the nines earthquakes. Yeah, that's where the the, the whole, uh, the region destroying earthquakes yes. come in. Like not just the city destroy, as, as uh, Mika McKinnon talked to us about. Yeah. Region destroying capabilities. That's, so you get the ones that can level entire cities that like are true disaster movie level earthquakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Ring of Fire um, (laughs) versus, like, for us, California, we're probably the biggest that we can generate is somewhere in the sevens because it's just the way that the mechanism, their fault mechanism works is different. So, which is, it's going to be, it's going to be extremely bad and harrowing and catastrophic, but it's actually not going to be as bad as earthquakes could be given the geological reality. Of the of the faults that exist, yes, and then like a bunch got of, that going, uh, yeah, and then well, a bunch of other things come into play about why it would be potentially <laughs> yeah. worse for us than in other areas, like for uh-huh. Alaska, uh-huh. Um, and that's to do with like what our ground is and all of that. I was going to say, does it have to do with like the basically the Los Angeles basin being a bowl of oatmeal? Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. You've been through that, so yeah, it has to do with the fact that we're basically <laughs> sitting on um, like thousands of feet of what's called unconsolidated sediment. We're basically sitting. <laughs> that sounds unsafe. Yeah, it is. It's not fun. Not fun at all. Um, so yeah, but that what the, what the bottom line of it is emphasizing yes that so those smokestacks in would the not trench be there. that it would absolutely not but be what was I, forming. But it also was so cool. I didn't care. I was like, exactly. that's not science. But you know what? Which that's is fine. the compromise we need in yes. a disaster movie. Exactly. If it's not going to make any fucking sense, it has to be cool enough to not care. And that is why the meteor not being big enough is stupid, and why the the pinnacles in the Mariana Trench are accepted because they're cool enough looking yeah. to be like, all right, I'll forget. Yeah, I was I was like, fine, on board. I don't know that you guys would ever have windows that big on a submarine like that, but I Seriously. don't care. Giant, giant picture windows on the submarine. <laughs> I don't care. <coughs> so of course what they determine is that like cruising through the trench, they have to Drop the nukes and set them off at a, at a much like the core. I, as it you was pointed out there was it was some there were some definite shades of the core there that yeah, I was like there there right. has to be a detonation sequence that results in like you know impact going off at just the right amount of interval to make sure for like maximum effect to basically realign the world's axis. But because they're on this old fucking submarine, this ancient like piece of like war, like this ancient war artifact, basically, they do not have the juice to get out in time to, I don't think any, and that's, I don't think actually anything that we have made in 2009 or even now I don't think a submarine would be capable of outrunning a nuclear blast shockwave. That's traveling at the speed of fucking sound, right? Like, there's you can't actually get out of the... You can't outrun that. No. Like, so that... It didn't actually matter if they were in that old sub, but the old sub meant that they had... Like, there wasn't even... There was no snowball's chance in hell that it was going to happen. So, you know, de- people come to peace with their oblivion. Um, da- estranged military father and scientist son have their moment... And then they've, they've dropped the charges. They're going to set them off when scientist HRG comes up with the idea. If we throw the sub into one of those smokestacks, mm-hmm. the steam escaping from it will somehow not harm the submarine critically and just catapult us up towards the surface at a great enough speed to outrun the shockwave, which of course works. But I could not help while watching it fixate on 
You can't ascend that quickly and live, can you? I... Jordan, I you, not that you're you that You definitely get the bends. I was wondering, like, wouldn't you, like, really be fucked up? Yeah, you definitely you, get the bends, and you'd need some serious, like, oxygen therapy at yeah, least, at the very least. None of this like, is good. I mean, like, okay, let's start with the fact that no, I don't think you can. Well, let's. I mean, the the smoke being propelled upward with the steam couldn't be good for the thing. And then on top of that, you've got temperature changes really fast happening. We're like, you've got this fast. Like, so the the submarine is very cold, and then you've got the heat on it. That can't be good for metal. That temperature that can't be good. You've got the pressure changes. Everyone is being flung about the fucking submarine anyway so i don't know what it matters yeah yeah it was it was all it was definitely that was one of those where i was like sure because we have to save jack coleman somehow yeah yeah and we we do and there wasn't an avalanche hut in this uh, under the ocean that could save (laughs) them like there was in the opening burrow into and wait it out yeah yeah so like sure I'll yeah, just and go with it. And, and but it, it, zany, no, enough, mm-hmm. zany enough to be like, all right, I'll take it. Yeah. But it was definitely like, man, I feel like submarines and anybody um, emerges very cautiously from the deep because it has to take a long time. Otherwise, things turn into, like, this would turn into a tin can. I don't know. And it would crush and crumble or people would be deprived yeah. of oxygen. So, like, yeah, they're definitely, like hurtling toward the surface like a fucking bullet. I think that what we learned here is uh, that... Well, we have like you know the the shitty shitty government pro- government made materials. Mm-hmm. Nothing is stronger than anything made in Russia, is what we've learned. That, I mean, we, that who at one point the ship at one point the submarine captain even says <clears throat> she's strong like ox, and I was like, yes. <laughs> Can he only speak in those idioms? Yeah, she I fast like bull. I truly love that these stereotypical Russian. They were so like, stereo. I love dedicated it. to state character that always pops up in a movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, like their main personality is their their main personality trait is talking about how strong Russia is and mm-hmm. how strong Russian things are. Yeah, and if there's going to be like a if there's going to be a thing like a caricature version of what you are in an American movie, that's one of the better ones. Yeah, yeah, and and you know. It, I wanted more of that from him. I wanted I, did I wanted some Russian inversions. I wanted like <laughs> in Mother Russia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul flip you. Yeah, like, I yeah. wanted all of that. Um, yeah, but I was Paul really in Russia. Paul does not flip us. I was so delighted when he was like, she's strong like bull. Like oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's gonna be my ringtone. That's how I describe myself. Um, <laughs> you're like, that's my that's on the that's on the bio on the apps. Yeah. Did you, Jordan, the ending of the movie. So when they make it look like Jack Coleman has died, and I was like, no, Jack Coleman didn't die off screen. Yeah, it's really, no one called them to tell them that, no one called his family to tell him he survived. Which I was just, all I could think about was like, man, how dick is, like, that's a long trip home to not call his family to be like, by the way, he's alive. Yeah. But they show up, and at the end, we get off camera, or like through a window, the reconciliation between father, son, and grandson. That he intro it's been he five introduces years of a train him. Yeah. He introduces this is your grandfather. Yes. The kid is 16. I know. I was like, it's not as if he he doesn't remember his grandfather exists. Like this Yeah. Is- and again, it's been five years. Yeah. Like there was never a phone call. Like 
not like, and there's no mention either. Like you think there would have been like part of like, you know, we've been a stranger, like you've never even met your grandson. Like, no, that's not established. No, It just kind of seems like he He actually says like you wouldn't recognize your grandson if you saw him again, which is like, well, that's fair. That's fair because like, I wouldn't recognize a 10 year old to a 16 year old. That's hard to do. They, their faces entirely change. Yeah. Um, but we also never learned why they were estranged. No, they never give us anything. Do you have any about theories? That. I don't know. I was like trying to figure out what it was. And I was like, did they get estranged over science? Like, I don't know why. I know, like, was is the son a pacifist and he rejects his father's? Well, because like, yeah, science and military are diametrically opposed. That's no true. What. The science never science never helps the military, and military exactly. never funds sciencing. That is true. Yeah, never funds sciencing. Yeah, no, military doesn't do anything using science. It's, yeah, here's so, the thing. It's like a lazy, like, it's just lazy writing being like, okay, what, what do right-wing people love? Ah, military. What do left-wing people love? Ah, science. Okay, science, that's self-explanatory. Yeah. But we never get, it, we never get a sense from him that he's left-wing, other than the fact that he smokes Cuban cigars. Yeah. Well, no, <laughs> but sci- science thing. is a liberal act, Amanda. Oh, that's I'm sorry. My bad. My well, this mistake. was uh, 11 years before our polarization, a current polarization. Our current then, polar storm. Our current polar storm absolutely right i mean we were still living in newt gingrich's america in in ways for sure but like maybe just tons of republican scientists in 2009 maybe a republican stronghold was science in 2009 couldn't say i would bet against it but who knows <clears throat> i i would argue Aaron that it was Aaron not Aaron, if you listen to this you know <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, so father, son, grandson reconcile. It all happens like through a window pane, which I was like, no, no, no. I'm not invested in this relationship. <laughs> no, no, no. You, you sure as shit, even if I'm not invested in this, should be giving me some resolution. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. One thing we didn't touch on at all is uh, the very – so the side the side quest that was happening with mm-hmm. uh, science teacher, wife, and – Right, and the crush and, the, and her dad. Yeah, and so the dad – so two things happen while they're fleeing, which is that one, the dad has a uh, pacemaker in him and yeah. the EMP is killing him, mm-hmm, which I was mm-hmm. like, good job. Good job bringing that up because that is a good point of like, that is something that's believable and also a good, nice little like stakes upping. That, totally, yeah. That like he's dying from his pacemaker exploding inside of him or whatever. Yeah. Um, but when they get carjacked yes. by random man in the middle of nowhere- yeah. Um, and then they get carjacked. I really enjoyed that sequence. I thought that was all just really the fact that there was a vengeance EMP that kills him. <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that was that. very satisfying. Yeah. In terms of the reality index, I was like, I'm in on all of this. I'm in on dad having the dad having a pacemaker and almost dying, um, or then dying, which I guess they just leave his body on the side of the road. Yeah, I get I, yeah, I think that's their only That's their only option, option which like which we never double back and see Zoe again. Zoe is You're right, we don't. Zoe is presumably at this point parentless. She's an orphan. Yeah. Because we never it's really true. hear about her mother and like the dad defaults to her on decisions. So Zoe yeah. is now an orphan tasked with owning a bakery in a town full of people who are dead. Yeah, in a dead and town. And entirely like the entire town's population is dead. I don't know why they're it's still true. living there. Oh god. Um and like has to go recover her father's decomposing body from the side yeah. of the road where presumably wild animals have at least begun to feast upon it. Like poor, yeah. poor Zoe, man. Yeah. No, Zoe really makes out the worst of anybody in this movie. Yeah. I, think, I think. And so does, does that then, uh, covering the reunion, does that then, uh, cue us up 
for our brief intermission yeah. and flinging into uh, the next elements of our pod. I think it does. All right. All great. Right. You know what time it is, folks. It is super yucky time. And folks, do you love movies? The good ones? Even the bad ones everyone told you not to like? It sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies, so much so that they've dedicated every waking moment of their life to bring you top-quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure, to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even have pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you tangible love letters to movies and filmmakers that you can wear with pride. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks, and they ship with compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERFRIEND, that's all caps, no spaces, SUPERFRIEND, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com, S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch more movies. And please do patronize the good folks of Super Yaki. The holidays are coming up. And you know what? I may not be going home to celebrate them because that involves air travel. But I can certainly ask the mail to get them their Super Yaki wares. Oh, yes. And again, uh, the most comfortable shirts. I'm currently wearing my written and directed by Ryan Johnson shirt. Yes, uh, yes I, a classic. A comfortable classic. The other day I was wearing uh, my... Uh, for your consideration, Birds of Prey shirt with the mm -hmm. bisexual lighting on it. Very much. Very big. I was, last night I, I had to explain I had to explain it to my father. He did not understand what was happening. He thought that I <laughs> my dad actually thought that I had, he was like, How did you get that swag? And I was like, mm -hmm. like he thought this was something I had gotten for free sent to oh, me by like, it's like from like, like a promotional. Yeah, a promotional. I was like, No, 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 Dad. This is all me promoting. What I <laughs> Yep. I believe in voting. I believe in mm -hmm. voting for Democrats and I believe in voting for Birds of Prey for Best Picture. I mean, it's not like anything else is Hell. coming out in theaters this yeah. year. So yes. it is still one of the box office queens of 2020. A cinematic achievement. And you can yeah. and you can support it. And many others, they're limited release. Uh, they're, mm -hmm. they, they have limited release collections, which are always fantastic. Strong support. Strong vote yes on Super Yaki. Yes. Vote yes on Super Yaki. Proposition Y, Super Yaki. Yeah. <laughs> A proposition you can feel good about. Absolutely. A bipartisan proposition. Um, so now does that that brings us to what is this really what about? What was this movie really about? Yeah. Do you have an immediate thought, Amanda? Yeah, I uh, I think that this was a movie that actually quietly warned about uh, not trusting authority. Mm, Whether okay. So we had several different forms of authority showing up. We had the government, which fails us by lying. Mm -hmm. you, had the, um, you had the armed forces who enforce like uh, martial law, but also without all the information. As we hear Janet repeatedly yell that they don't have all the information. They haven't, <laughs> their communication's gone down. They don't have any way of knowing an update. So mm -hmm. martial law being declared and then the, the military as this like authoritarian figure that is misinformed. Yes. And then even everywhere does everyone die, Jordan? They all die in a church. In the church. So the in three, the church. The three big forms of authority in our lives, the military, mm -hmm. the government, and yep. religion, 
all yep, of those so right. people to their death. And it's truly, I think, a movie about rig- rugged individualism. This might even oh, be a little. Yeah. This might even be the Atlas shrugged of disaster movies. Oh, Ein Ein is taking a, yeah. a bow in her grave. I mean, the only people who save themselves are the ones who do it for themselves. <laughs> You're right. Uh, the only there's only one man who can save the world. He partners, of course, in a way that would absolutely, you know, devastate Ayn Rand. Uh, he partners with, of course, Soviet Russia. Yeah. Oh my but God, you're so right. Even though all of them are willing to die for the cause, he is yes. not. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you know why he is not? Because he's a fucking individual. Yeah, it's true. He is. You're a right. They, man. they have all, all of them, as the as the uh, Aquanaut commander tells us, um, they have all volunteered to take this mission, knowing it was basically a one way ticket. Yeah. And so they knew this. This is really a movie about how not, not HRG the scientist. Nope. Nope, he is going to potentially just, he is going to do whatever he can to survive, even if that means putting them into a smokestack and shooting themselves up to the surface. Yeah. Like a can of tuna being flung by anti-fascists. Yeah. Um, and while, so, while eternal flame plays on a keyboard in the background. <laughs> so yeah, so that's what I think this movie is about, is uh, this is definitely an anti-authoritarian. Don't trust, um, don't trust authority. Don't trust the major, like, the major power players in our lives film. Um, and I think it is definitely a mixed, it doesn't do a great job of really bringing that home at the end, but yeah, yeah, that's where, that's where I land on it. Jordan, what about you? I'm going to say, I, I'm, I'm going to take this as a jumping off point is something that almost every disaster movie, almost every disaster movie should teach us and that we should really, um, I think home in on here is more science everyone. We need more science. We need more scientists. We need more faith in science. We need more trust in science. We need more scientists leading the way. We need to promote people going into fields of scientific study because as disaster movies tell us, there's always only one. There is only one scientist only one. that ever really gets what's going on when the end of the world is afoot. And that is telling me that we are simply neglecting the infrastructure of the scientific community because there should never be only one scientist that knows the world is about to end in 48 hours. Wow, great point, Jordan. We need to build out these ranks. We need to have government leaders that that grow these aspects of our economy so we can become the like Star Trek future United Federation of Planets. We work to better ourselves, but there is no currency uh, version of humanity we should aspire to be. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Are you giving her a patriotic backdrop song? Because... <laughs> My God, man, the scientists have been, they have been stepped on a lot over the past four years. And in these disaster movies, we we simply must stop relying on the one lone, rugged individual scientist to get us through to the next humanity. I I agree with all of this. More fucking science, indeed. That is, so says Jordan Cruciola, so say we all. More yeah, that's my Bill Pullman science. moment. That's my Bill Pullman speech. <laughs> I'm in. I love it. Now, are you, Amanda, are you dreamcasting? I'm not. I I didn't love this movie enough to want to remake it. If they came to me and was like, we're going to remake this <laughs> film, I'd be like, meh. But also, like, Jack Coleman's perfect in this. So what am I going to no. bother with? The only thing the I would do is 
mm-hmm. would I would just not like I guess I would keep the cast as is because Jack Coleman's perfect and I don't care about Janet or Shane enough to recast them. And I and Jack Coleman is perfect in this. And I I actually would I'm very fine leaving everything as is. I would my only thing I would do were to like prompt this movie to rise to its occasion. I would like to see uh Janet. That's that's yeah, the that's the that. wife, yeah. Yeah. Oh wait, no, Cynthia. She's Cynthia. Is she? Then I just typed in my notes Janet because I didn't know her name and she seemed yeah, like Janet. She, she, that's the thing. To, to take her from being a more general Janet to a specific Cynthia. Okay, my bad. I am making her general Lisa Janet. Edelstein. Okay, great, great option. Never I'm a bad. Lisa Edelstein. I'm making her the ex-wife yeah. of HRG to give sure. them a combative to give them a combative dynamic. I don't want her like cloying after him. I want her to be a scientist of equal, equal fame and repute. Yeah. And they are in tandem solving this, solving this, addressing this problem. And not just like, again, her following this guy around. So Lisa Edelstein and Jack Coleman. I, I love that. I love that. I love that. I think it's I think it'd be a great pair. I think yeah. they would she would be, they would be a great pair. They would be yeah. it just even like if they were gonna make a this is us kind of show of like just with yeah. the husband, I would be on board for that regardless. Like, yeah, and give she, me that. She's so she's so authoritative yeah. and tough. Yeah. That like I would love to see her kicking his like, what is he, eight feet tall? With like I love seeing wide shots of him walking because his legs are so fucking long. It's like, look at that. They, like, look at the look at the pants on that man. Yeah. <laughs> are as long as I am tall and then there's the rest of him. Yeah. He just, he looks like, he could conceivably just be like a pretty standard but tall like 6'5", but he just looks like a redwood. No, he just, he's all legs. He's, he, he is an all leg person and it's- And I would love to see Lisa Edelstein cutting his aloof uh, scientist ass down to size. Yeah, I'm in. I'm, I'm in on all of this. So Jordan, I guess that takes us to ratings. Yeah. How many are you given this one? I'm, I'm, because Jack Coleman is so good, I'm not going to go below two, but all I can give it is a two. Yeah, that was exactly where I'm falling on this one is like, Jack Coleman Jack is Coleman it. it's two, yeah. and it has, if it had fully, and like, it's a, it's a frustrated two, because yeah. there are glimmers of how they could have done more, like we said, with what they had, where they could have gone bigger and crazier, and again, yeah, Jack Coleman, he's doing a great job. Yeah. There, and it just, it didn't follow through like it could have. The, I, I wanted more from this movie that I think it was fully well capable of delivering. Yeah. That it did not. So it's just, it's a two for me. That's a, like this, this film is carried entirely on Jack Coleman, Coleman's broad back. Um, yeah. <laughs> he is only 6'2", by the way, Jordan. Wow. I know. What, that is an optical illusion. Yeah. No only 6'2"? How dare you put that only in front of <laughs> Mean As it, a six-two person, I take offense. To I that. mean that in the sense of compared to six-five, which I would say crosses into freakish. I would totally have guessed six-five yeah. at baseline for him. Like six-two. So here's as as somebody who is five foot one. Um, <laughs> whenever like there's a certain point where I'm just like it crosses over in my head into like tall, and then there's a certain point where it crosses into humans don't come that size. And for me, yeah, fantasy six, levels of tall. Six four is where humans cap out at. And if anybody yeah. is above six four, it becomes a novelty for me. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how my brain works. Like normal human height is like 
okay, anything six four, I'm like, yeah, I believe that. Anybody who's taller than six four, I'm just like, no, that's not a that's not a height people come in (laughs) unless they're athletes, and I don't think athletes are humans. Like professional, you start you start to question the reality index when when people (laughs) exactly. Well, it's it's I, I start to be like, you guys are a different species. It's like, no, no, this is like how Homo sapiens or Homo erectus and Neanderthals were like around each other and similar, but not the same. And uh, I'm like, ah. We are the future, Charles. Not them. They no longer matter. <laughs> that was very good. <laughs> I've watched that movie so many times, and Ian McKellen's voice as Magneto is um, my favorite voice of all time in any now, movie. Jason can only talk as Magneto from now on. New, pod- <laughs> new podcast rule. Oh. Um, so, guys, that's so drinking, that's like a drinking game rule. For, the, the the rules game. That's Jason's rule. Jason can only talk about talk like Magneto for the rest of the game. <laughs> so, before we get into our guys, guys, I love you. Oh, damn it. I was just gonna say, I'm, I'm sure too that my the HRG height thing is really fixed in my mind because I think of him, he's fixed in my mind as in contrast to Hayden Panettiere. Well, right. And she's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, 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 a gymnast of a person. Yeah. So yeah, that yeah. definitely made him look even more extravagantly tall. Yes. No, he is, he, I, I'm almost disappointed now that he's not 6'5", but I'll settle for 6'2". Yeah, that, that's fine. That's fine. That's acceptable. Okay, so real fast, I want to, before we jump into some very exciting news for next week, I want to, <laughs> we haven't done some podcast reviews in a while, and I wanted to call out specifically that, you guys, we are the ranked number 35 for film reviews in France on their iTunes. Really? Hey, so, France. to France... Really? Break for France for being the first country to break for to get us to break the top one hundred, let alone the top fifty. Yeah, yeah. And I say merci. (laughs) Man, what is? I wonder what it is about France that's like really tuning them into our podcast. I like to think we have a lot of international appeal because these truly are the broadest common denominator kinds of movies. Yes. Yes. These are the movies where where like language is the yep. the lowest barrier of yeah, like absolutely. what's happening. You don't like need to even read the feeling. subtitles. You just can watch and you know what's happening. Totally. So we've got a bunch of reviews from that we have neglected because they are posted on international iTunes. Oh, okay. There we go. That's why. That's what it was. Okay. So um, I sent it to the group if you guys want to take yes. a look. I've got them. Um, got them up. Do you want me to, do you want me to read uh, the... Let's see. I'll read the one that starts from like the last time we read a review. Okay, go for it. So this one is actually from the Philippines. Uh, and uh, it's it's titled A Perspective Shift in Experiencing Disaster Movies. Uh, oh. They gave us five stars. Yes. Uh, and then uh, let's see. Oh, it's 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 making me load the full review because it's a it's a long one. Mm-hmm. Um In this podcast, you can find yourself experiencing disaster films on a whole different perspective. Hearing your favorite genre being discussed with much enthusiasm and energy, you can actually enjoy them all over again. Jordan's energy in discussing metaphorical allegories and Amanda's yeah, that happened pointing out moments are my experience highlights with the occasional cameo of the enigmatic Jason. The enigmatic Uh, Jason! These two hosts reignited my love for this genre and took lesser known films as they present themselves, uh, which is strange for me, but very interesting at the same time. Been a fan for a long time on Twitter, so I'm sorry this took so long before I made an official review. I'm shy like that. But now I'm making a stand and not just for wanting Jason's black hair to be released, but for the glory of our Lord and Savior, Muja. Uh and for the glory of Helen Hunt's hair, the overarching uh, wonder of Agent Maggie Grace extended universe, and yep. of course, the tagline of self-confidence and self-worth, Apex Predator Baby. 
more power to you guys. Supportive as always. Uh, K, I think is that's a really it. that's an apex review. That is really what that, that's, that's amazing. A, thank you so much review for that disaster diva. I'm so sorry that it took us so long to uh, to to get to that review, and yeah. we will no longer be missing any of the international reviews. So if you're an international listener, we'll be we'll be seeing your reviews. Should we do and some more? Tell Absolutely. tell Anna that you will now be designating as enigmatic. Enigmatic. Jason. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll let my uh, my girlfriend know. Um, uh, so yeah, we also got so we've got show good with s h o w so really nice pun there five stars. <laughs> I was originally pointed in the direct the disaster diva's direction from Amanda's Twitter and have been a huge fan ever since, eagerly anticipating the inevitable Godzilla reviewathon. And that is from Avalis, and that is that person is located in Great Britain. All right, Ooh. international. Yeah, uh, we've got disaster diva and then the devil horns. Thank you for that emoji. Five stars <laughs> from Germany. Uh, one of those podcasts that I have to listen to immediately. Fun, insightful, always a pleasure. And that's are having a good time. That's from Pan Galactics. Mm, there you go. Thank you. So those are we've got some some really great reviews, guys. Can I please read the one star review from oh, Ireland? Yeah, did we not? Oh, we we got we read that one. At, no, at some I don't point. think we read the airport one. I, I thought we read it. I know I had seen it, and maybe we talked about it. But I maybe think we, we talked about it. it. Anyway, it's worth going back and revisiting again. Yeah. So Please, this is yes. from Ireland from uh, July. We got one star for airport, guys. Yeah. I, w- I would like to dramatically read this Please. One. Please. One star airport. You obviously didn't read the book. Arthur Haley Airport. You didn't even mention him or the book. This movie is based on his book, so all your stupid comments about this movie is actually about his book. Book is brilliant. Read it before making stupid podcast. Like, why nobody died? Seriously? And just, and just you to know, do your homework next time. Helen Hayes won in 1932 and 1971, record between two wins. I assume that means Oscars. Would be nice to mention it. You're just making fun all over this movie. I think it was great movie for that year. And you know what? I am happy that this person loves airport enough to slander us, to take the time Mm -hmm. to write seeing here i'm not taking away from this that we didn't do our jobs because what we do is subjective i'm seeing that this person loves the airport so much Mm -hmm. they had to get on here and read us the riot act and you know what without using this there was no hateful language used this is a fairly chaste defend the things you love everybody defend the things you love so good for brko 1965 in ireland for loving airport the book and the, the film possibly too, but it seems like the book is a big deal for this person so <laughs> much. I will Great. say if, if you have like, you know, some, some sort of grievance that you want to air with the podcast, uh, uh, please, if you would like us to read that and you want to air a grievance, like if you're still listening, but you have something that's act- absolutely aggravating you, if you want to leave a far- five-star review, but then absolutely trash us in oh, yeah, the review. Totally. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. Yeah. You, look guys, five-star reviews. You can say whatever the hell you want after after a certain point. I don't care. It's true. I want that <laughs> A plus. Plug your yeah. car dealership. I don't know. Yeah. yeah if you want right. if you just want to angrily rant at us though, you can do that. You can send us an email to disastergirlspod at gmail.com. True. Don't ruin our star rankings. <laughs> yeah, don't don't star, do please. it, guys. That don't um, give us a one star. It's out of five, five out of five only. 
<laughs> five out of five. Anyway, only. so Jordan, normally you ask me what's coming up next week, but I feel like this yeah. is one of those times where maybe this is your level of enthusiasm is warranted <laughs> to describe <laughs> how we'll be celebrating next week's episode. Yeah, we have a we are um this this episode will be arriving in the wake of whatever the next episode will be arriving in the wake of whatever turns out for election week. And I am very pleased to tell you guys that we have a really big um a really big I'm going to call it like a therapy episode of Disaster Girls to to put us all back together in whatever fashion we need to be reassembled uh, after again the events of election week. Um next week we will be touching on one of those we will be doing a blockbuster week. We will be doing 2012, and as you guys know, we save the big movies for guests so that they have the best uh, they have the best options to choose from when they come on. And if you've been listening to my other podcast, a simple podcast, you may know this guest that we will be having because the Paul Feig, uh, the director, writer, director uh, Paul Feig of so many things you love, like The Heat <laughs> and Spy and the newer Ghostbusters. And a simple favor, and, and freaks, freaks and geeks, and freaks and geeks. Uh, <laughs> Paul Feig will be joining us uh, to talk about 2012. He has joined us already. It we is did it. It's waiting for you. It happened yeah. in the past. It is a it is a delightful time as he uh, continues to reaffirm over and over again that he is an utterly delightful person. He's the best yeah. human on the planet. And we and this is a this is a man who, in addition to everything you may know about Paul Feig, as is. He loves disaster movies. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, he loves he, them. Genuinely. He was very enthusiastic. He was and, so into uh, it. May or may not have invited himself back on for uh, a future movie. Yeah. And you guys, I think you just all need to know he did yes. it in a full suit with a pocket square. Full suit. Full suit. <laughs> In as, as, always, in, as always, as he did in our simple podcast recording. Insane. Um, you guys. He is, he's, never, he's never off that hustle. It is, I'm yes, jealous. It is perfect. And so, yeah. So, Paul, get ready for next week's episode of Disaster Girls, uh, with tw- uh, where we talk about 2012 with the writer and director and producer, Paul Feig. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, um, 2012, if you can't figure out where to find 2012, figure it out. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to tell you guys. If you can't figure out how to find 2012, one of the biggest, mo- like one of the big disaster movies of the last decade in yeah. advance of our episode with Paul Feig, like just do it, Disaster Divas. I mean, thank you. <laughs> that is a movie that was, that was very big. And so I'm sure that all of our listeners at some point or another uh, yeah, have seen it or watched it or will watch yeah, it. Yeah. You know what, though? You, you can don't rent even, it on any of the meters. Just, or don't just listen to the episode. It's like. Yeah. It's, it's super sized. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyway, it's a really fun, lovely time. Anyway, so I guess that brings us to Jordan. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter at Jorcru, J O R C R U. You can find me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Cruciola. And if you uh, haven't been listening to a simple podcast, listen to all those episodes. We got, uh, Paul Feig was wonderful taking the time to speak with us. We got to talk to the screenwriter, Jessica Scharzer, the costume designer, Renee ehrlich Kelfus, And we have our uh, like official finale episode coming out next week um, with a fun treat uh, in that episode as well. So do, do join for my single topic podcast with my wonderful co-host, Christina Grace Tucker and Alana Bennett discussing A Simple Favor. All right. Hell yeah. All of those things. They're all good mm-hmm. quality things that Jordan puts out because Jordan doesn't brook with crap. Nope. <laughs> I do not. And now, Enigmatic Jason, where uh, can we yeah, find you? you? Can, 
you can find if if you want me to no longer be enigmatic and just be fully um, um, admitting everything about who I am on a deep level. Uh, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Jason Halftones. Um, I just posted a bunch of um, if if you like Batman stuff. Uh, an artist who I, I greatly admire named Jacob Edgar did these like Batman comic strips that are really fun, and uh, I decided to color them because they were just in black and white. And so you can find our little collab on a bunch of fun and cute little uh, Batman stories on my Twitter. Awesome. Great idea to check that out. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and Jason is wildly talented in all the things he does. And oh. uh, he is. yeah, whether it's podcasting, if you need a podcast producer or <laughs> anything else, Jason is fantastic. If you need a podcast producer, if you need someone on your TV show, like a, a coordinator on your TV show, I'm experienced yeah. there. If you need yeah. a, uh, someone to, to draw a thing, if, if if you need someone to to read your 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 ad copy or your <laughs> reviews, buddy, I got I got a weird. If you need resume. if you need Jason to just of Jason's voice, if you just need someone to do uh, really specific Magneto impersonations, hey, <laughs> I can do a few lines. <laughs> he can practice more. <laughs> um, and then oh, and I you can find me. I'm Amanda R Tubbs. That's Tubbs with two B's on Twitter. Um, <laughs> Baseball season is over, so you won't have to deal with that. Congratulations to Amanda because she won the World Series with the Dodgers. Thank you, guys. Yes, I did it. It was all me. I personally won the World Series. You did. You've been working hard. It was very exciting. (laughs) Um, And so now I'm mostly going to just be tweeting about, like, nerdy stuff and uh, probably a lot about boys because and food. Um, <laughs> I might get back. I might start doing uh, my little like video series on rocks that I own. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, I'm going to probably go back into doing that again now that I've got my weekends back and I'm not phone banking. So just like Show Twitter. Show everyone your Dwayne Johnsons. <laughs> so just general Twitterness. Um, and if you happen to be a sports fan and you want to buy t-shirts about sports, uh, I'm generally tweeting about those as well because I have like, I'm a, I'm, I'm an influencer on that. So oh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I've got nothing. I'm not accomplished like you guys. Anyway, you can find the podcast. We're disaster underscore pod on Twitter. Uh, we're disastergirlspod at gmail.com. Please five-star ratings and reviews. Now that we know where to find the international reviews um, that weren't showing up before on our iTunes, we can read all of them. Um, so thank you guys so much for the ones who have written ratings and given us those. Please do it if you haven't. Share us with your friends and family, especially in advance of next week's big episode. Hell yes, yeah. please do drop in. So we'll see you all back next week for uh, 2012 with Paul Feig. Take care of yourselves out there, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye. That might be cool.com. You never know. <laughs>